Hey everybody, this is Kim Blackwell and Louis Extravaganza and this is Work, Work, the podcast. Voices for the voices that go unheard. Hey everybody, this is Louis along here with my fabulous co-host Kim Blackwell. Hey. So excited about tonight's guest, today's guest I should say. This is a larger than life Person, mm-hmm. persona, mm-hmm. character. Did you, did you just call me fat? <laughs> <laughs> we have with us today the fabulous Oscar Quintero, uh-huh. aka mm-hmm. K Sedia. Yay! <laughs> you guys all sit down, please. <laughs> <laughs> K and Oscar yeah. are just, you know. Well, besides being a wonderful person, he's an actor and a wonderful, wonderful celebrity in our midst. <laughs> and his larger-than-life ca- uh, character, Quesadilla, has taken on, uh, God, maybe taken over, <laughs> right, your life and has become oh, yeah. this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful persona and so we welcome you to the show today thank you so much for being here oh, thanks for having me oh yes <laughs> i'm excited i know now you've been listening to the podcast right mm-hmm. mm-hmm. oh that was a little yeah, oh i i started listening to it a couple days ago and I, that's why I, I responded <laughs> i said something to you and you're like hey when are you coming and i'm like oh okay i've been listening to this podcast yeah. <laughs> so i don't get dragged when right. i'm up on this microphone <laughs> Now you're a California native. You bo- you were born in Hacienda Heights. Mm-hmm. Me and Fergie. You and Fergie. Yeah. Fergalicious. Come- okay. She was a great under me in in high school. Get oh out. really? Yeah. Did you go to the same high school? Yeah, Wilson. What? Glenn A. Wilson. Hey hey. Wildcats. Okay. <laughs> Shout out to Fergalicious. Yeah. She didn't know me though. <laughs> I knew her because I used to love Kids Incorporated. Kids Incorporated. Remember? Of course. Kids Incorporated. What I can't spell yeah. it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know yes. it. Yes, Rasan Patterson, mm. Martika. He went to my high school too. And Martika. Stop it. All three of them went to my high school. Okay. Yeah. Look Insane. at that. Okay. Yeah. And you grew up in a big family too. Yeah. Six brothers and sisters, right? I'm the youngest of six. And not only am I the youngest, but my parents had the first five uh-huh. and me 10 years later. Oh, jeez. So I was like a surprise. Okay, yes. Yeah. The change of life, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Was it hard growing up in that kind of a family where you well, were it was so hard far growing up apart? In, yeah, well, not so much because of that, because, I mean, it was just a chaotic, uh, dysfunctional, crazy household. So, yeah. When did you first get into acting and comedy and all that good stuff? When did I first get into it? I always was, I always participated like in chorus or in uh, the school plays and stuff like that. That's where it started. And uh, I got a bug for it. And, you know, and more so than that, I, I used to live, I mean... I used to live in fantasy and of Charlie's Angels, Love Boat, the Dynasty was like a big one of my favorites as a six year old kid. My sisters would watch it and I would watch it with them. And I was so caught up on all of it. And but I'll tell you, the first time I thought I want to do that. Do you guys remember the movie Time Bandits? Yes. Remember that? The little boy? Was it Terry Gilliam? No. Time Bandits was early 80s. Yes. Uh, About it was all the, the little people. Um that were time traveling and they got that little boy out of England. But I just, I kept thinking, I want to be that little boy. 
I want to do what he's doing. Right. So that's when I first got the idea. So I was always looking for ways to like either be in front of a, like on stage. I I, I tried auditioning for Card Sharks, the game oh, show, yeah. when it was Kid Week or something. Yep. And I, I bombed that audition terribly. But so that's where I first got the bug. And and for me, more than anything, it was just it was an escape that I wanted to be a part of. I just wanted the escape to be my real life. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. It, it was all a dream. It was all a dream in my head for the longest time. I would participate in, in I would became part of the drama club in high school and stuff like that. But uh, it was just a dream that I didn't think could happen for me or that was supposed to be for me. Um, just I got caught up in my head that uh, that happens to other people. Not to mention that a lot of my identity, that's why a lot of case of the end of my work um, is a celebration of all the things that I was ashamed of growing up. And mostly being that I came from this crazy uh, dysfunctional family. My mother was a uh, was a violent drunk, and um, I equated everything that was wrong with us to us being immigrants or Mexican. Um, so I just, I just somehow, no one told it to me. No one said, "Hey, you can't do this," but I just got that idea somewhere that it, that wasn't supposed to be for me. So all of this happened for me kind of accidentally later in life, and after I had, you know, I had my bout with drugs and alcohol, and after I got cleaned up. Um, at five years of sobriety, it literally fell in my lap. You said that your mom was a violent drunk. How would she act out towards you guys? Was that difficult to live with, deal with? Yeah, I mean, it. yeah, it, it was my mother. It's funny because she's since passed, but you get to a place in your life where you just start to have compassion for those things, for those people in your life that were kind of your monsters. She was such she was such a sick woman. And that's the best way I'm able to describe it. But she was so deeply unhappy and she was drunk every single night. But she was one of those drunks that would come into the room at three in the morning to wake me up, to tell me all her problems. Oh, wow. Five and six years old. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, that's emotional incest on some level. And um, so I carried a lot. I was such a little worrywart as a kid. And Mm. like I carried the weight of the world on my shoulders at that age. And um and those were the good nights. And on the bad nights, she was just in a rage, terrorizing the entire family, screaming, fighting with my father. So we were the whole family was up at 3, 4 in the morning. And uh, a lot of times our fights ended up on the front yard. And that's why whenever I speak, I always oh joke that God. it's like we were the community theater. Because <laughs> somehow <laughs> the cops would come Worst and we were, it was all laid out there in the front yard. And oh, wow. um, yeah, and all the neighbors would be popping their heads out like what's going on. And, you know, and then the next day I'd have to go to school and pretend like nothing happened and you know i'd be either made fun of by friends or it, they all saw it so they knew it was happening so it was just i just i was riddled with just shame and uh and and disgust constantly i'm like oh my god why am i it's like i had this idea in my head that i was born into the wrong family and my real family is going to show up in a limousine someday and just come get me um, oh my god that was my mantra really I'm like <laughs> when are they coming <laughs> My real parents. The real family. Yeah. You're, you are both just saying a word. Can I tell you that I packed a plastic bag? <laughs> a plastic, yes, plastic. It, it was back in the day. Uh-huh. A hefty of bag? My, of my clothes. Yeah. And I stood by my door and I wrote my mom a note saying, <laughs> no, thank you, you so did. much. Yeah. <laughs> Getting for me this take, far. Yeah, for taking care of me, the, you know, yeah. until today. But I know that my parents are picking me up <laughs> in a limousine any moment now. And she was like, oh, God. 
Uh, bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Yeah, like Cheetah Rivera, uh, yeah. real mom. Yeah, she about to was come like, up in here. Yeah, she yeah. was like, and then bye. Uh, my I tried to run when I was four. My sister helped me write my. My, she was like laughing the whole time though. She tr- tried to help me write my yeah goodbye letter, my yeah. runaway letter. <laughs> wow, you guys took it a step further. Yeah, like, but I was I just knew something was wrong. Yeah, something was not right because it was just there was so much misery in our house and right. and it, and it's funny because I look back and there was so much trauma along those lines and I'm fairly fairly normal <laughs> and I think back my God like most people would not have been able to survive. Yeah. Uh, that and but i think that's why escape was um i think i I was able to survive it because of fantasy and escape because that was probably my first addiction was just kind of going off into this fantasy land right and um but i also think that's how quesadilla was created just Hmm. in my fantasy where was your dad in all this how did he react to your mom how did he either try to help her or cope with her or shield you guys from her well (sighs) My parents are immigrants, so they came. My dad came here on top of a train when he was 14 years old to work the fields and send money back. He was deported twice, got back on the third time, and he started working in a kitchen. And the man that owned the restaurant took a liking to my dad, and he sponsored him to help him get a green card. And then by this point, my dad had already had my mother back home in Tijuana and with my three older siblings, and like he was going back and forth on the weekends. And then he finally brought her over. And they had the rest of us, the three of us here. I mean, the only reason I tell you all that is because my parents just had, they didn't, they had that immigrant mentality of just fear and, um, you know, just trying to get by. Mm-hmm. So my, I don't think my dad knew what to do and he, or where to go or how to talk to. Him. And plus he also came from that Latin machismo where you just take care of your family. Yeah. Right. So oftentimes he was just kind of like a doormat or in the background. My father didn't say much, but he would blow up after, you know, because you could only take so much. And my mother was just constant. You couldn't love her enough. You couldn't give her enough. You couldn't make her happy on any level. And, you know, and it's sad in a way because I always think back and my, you know, I was hard on my mom because I just, because I got the brunt of it also because my siblings were all gone and it was just me. But I would have these meltdowns and I would beg my father to divorce her so that we could and just leave. You know, and my father was no saint either. He was also a drunk, but he was just very quiet and docile. He was just a doormat is the way that I could describe it. And it's funny because when he died, I didn't have any, I was good with him. Like we didn't have any animosity. We, I love my father after I came out to him. First thing he says to me is I love you and then freaked out and then took a long time of asking questions, trying to understand. And then he just got on. He didn't like he'd meet my friends and he didn't say anything of it. We didn't really talk about it after that. Right. You know, my mother, it was like meltdown. She was blaming herself. God's punishing me because I was a horrible mother. And I'm like, <laughs> um, excuse me. I'm not a punishment. <laughs> um, drama. Right. But it, oh, that was my mother. It was a walking, talking telenovela. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, they did the best they could, but when my mother died, I had a lot more unfinished, like I cried a lot more on my mother's and I was, I loved my father. I was so close to my father. And when she died, I was just, I was more heartbroken just because I never got to heal that relationship. Yeah, with those the are the harder ones, that are the complicated, yeah. yeah. And especially as I got older, I'd have moments of just complete compassion for her and then it would go away Yeah. and I couldn't stand her again. And that was throughout my, you know, my, my time being sober. Like she passed away, I think I was 20, 
21 or 22 years sober and it was hot and cold with her like there was times i just had compassion and loved her and accepted her exactly as she was and and then the other time was just i could not stomach being around her and i'd go a year or two without even talking to her wow yeah and not for any reason other than she my mother didn't have anything to say you'd go to her and she was just you don't care you don't love me you don't call me and i'm like well i'm here now yeah (laughs) so let's have a conversation and the funny thing is is she had a heart attack in February of 2017, and then she died in May of that same year. And my son was born December of 2016, at the end of the month. So as soon as we left the hospital, I went to go visit her. And uh, and somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew that I wanted her to know him. And I wanted her, I didn't want her to ever, I didn't want her to pass thinking that I hated her. So I just, that was my way of trying to connect with her was through my son. It was tough because half the time I would just sit there and I really didn't feel much for her. And uh, it was just like this, this was just a woman that was in my life that I just had nothing, no feelings for. Did she and, ever get sober? Uh, she got, she got, dry, she dried up Okay. when I was 17. But I'll tell you from that, from kid to 17, I was on my own. Like I got myself up for school and if I, if I was able to get myself up for school, but I took care of myself. And then at 17, all of a sudden she was like, okay, what are you doing? I'm like, ah, where have you been? (laughs) Right. And that's when, that's when the real, the real problems began between her and I. You're like, no, 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 I've had this. Yeah. (laughs) I'm good. Yeah. And when do you start drinking? I, you know, what's funny because I knew as a kid that the problem in our household was the drinking. Yeah. I knew early on, so I was like, I'm never going to be like them. I'm never going to um, go down that that path. And then oh, I want to say um, I had a few drinks in high school, but it it didn't, for whatever reason, I didn't have that glorious moment where I'm just, oh, here's my answer. Right. I went, um, my, my parents had kicked me out of the house when I was like uh, 17, 18. And then I moved in, my best friend lived next door to us and his family moved away to Chino Hills and I went and moved with them. And I, um, she was like a second, his mom was like a second mother to me. And then I, um, I, that friend and I, like we were inseparable. We did a lot together. And I, you know, I, I honestly, he was like my first love, even though he was straight. I don't think he, it wasn't reciprocated in other words, but, um, I would do anything he would say I, or anything he wanted, but we ended up getting an apartment together. And then one, I was about to turn, uh, I was 20 years old. And I said to him, I'll go, hey, why don't we why don't we just try pot? It was so random. Like, it just came out of nowhere. But the truth is, at that point, I just, I had that, I was talking about that pit in my gut where I just was never happy. I was I was miserable. I was sad. And um, I just needed something to numb that, that pit in my gut. I always felt like something was wrong. And, you know, obviously, I was hiding being gay. And so I just randomly said it, said to him, that, hey, let's, let's smoke pot. He went and got it from someone at work. We smoked pot. And I, all I remember was rolling around laughing. And my body felt like it was bouncing in and out of itself. Like something was like, I was loving it. And then paranoia set in. (laughs) And I was like, well, fuck. I was just paranoid. And it's funny. Come to find out my personality type does not go well with marijuana. Yeah. I'm and, um, a member of that club. Oh, were you? Yeah, yeah I don't oh. do. I can't do weed. Oh my god! Oh, yeah, my, but that must have been some good weed because usually <laughs> you don't even get high the first time. Oh, I was. You smoke and you're like bugging. I I was laughing. <laughs> I just remember laughing my ass off, like I like hysterically, and then 
we left to Vegas the next day of all things. And I remember that next day, like, I just remember leaving to Vegas and then getting there. I'm like, wait, what happened? I was still high, like, that next day. And I was like, I just remember that feeling like I do, I hate it being so out of control. Yeah. And I'm like, I do not ever want to do this again. And then I think two weeks later, I go, well, I kind of forgot, <laughs> I guess you could say. Maybe it was the wrong strain. Yeah, let me right. just make sure <laughs> yeah, I was that I me. didn't like that. Yeah. So then yeah. I did it again. And that time it only lasted like till the next day. Because that first time it lasted like it felt like it lasted three days. Like I felt it in my body. What kind of weed? I know. So then the second time it wasn't. It only lasted a day. And then from that point on my friend and I just became potheads. Yeah. We started smoking. But I couldn't go anywhere. Once I smoked pot I was like I had to stay in the house. Because I remember going somewhere with him once. And I was paranoid. I was just like freaked out. Like every little person coming up to me. Like we, I remember we went to the grocery store. And I was just like Hello. <laughs> Getting my money, like slowly getting it out of my bag. I was, I was so freaked out. So then from that point on, I turned 21 and I started drinking kind of slowly. Socially. Yeah. And it just, it became more of a, a daily kind of like pot and drinking became more of a, I don't know, it just became part of my life, I guess you could say. But at some point that year, that same friend offered me, um, I didn't know what it was. He just said, hey, I want you to come with me i want you to try something like i said i was in love with him i would have done anything anything he presented or right. said to me so he brought out a line of something i'm like i'm not doing cocaine he's all no this isn't cocaine it's crystal meth i'm like oh, oh. god okay well let me oh, try so it. that it's fine <laughs> right but i i, had, I was <laughs> you talk about being high for three days right <laughs> try three weeks right? <laughs> oh crystal meth crystal meth oh okay and i was it's funny though i didn't but i i knew nothing yeah I was so naive. I knew nothing about drugs. Um, but I just remember we did it. We drove around for hours around. It was probably already 10 at night. We probably drove around to like 3 in the morning just driving around all of. Uh, we were living in Corona at the time. Dri- driving around the IE. And like just till the, the, the gas ran out. Right? Yeah. But the euphoria. Really? The euphoria that kicked in. And I was like, this is, is what I've it? been seeking my entire life wow. Oh, wow and it was just at that moment and it, somehow i knew this is it this is my answer and we talked about everything and anything we talked about philosophy and just everything suddenly i knew the answers to everything and i was just i felt invincible that night and i just thought and then i tried chasing that oh yeah and that was it well that's crystal meth right you're like yeah. i have all the answers yeah. and then two years later you're like i have no teeth yeah <laughs> And no answers. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I know nothing. <laughs> yeah. So during this time, do you have a plan for your life? Like, what do you think? Nothing. Are I was you a high working? Dropped out. I dropped out of high school. Um, I got a job at a grocery store. And at the time, I thought, well, this is all I'm capable of. Or this is this is going to have to be my career. Yeah. Um, so I, I became, I was a bag boy at Avon's. And then I got promoted to the meat department. And then they demoted me. And then I got promoted again. <laughs> um, I was a terrible employee. <laughs> Um, and this was before drugs, um, but they uh, promoted me again and transferred me out to Anaheim, Anaheim Hills. They opened up a new store out there, and I was with I was with Vaughn's Pavilions for thirteen years. So you were working during this time when you were doing yeah. So drugs. what happened was, and I'll tell you how. I don't know how many years into the my career I was. Um, oh, it was about four or five years in. Yeah, because then I what started happening was I started stopped showing up to work, or just would show up hours late. 
And then um, <laughs> surprise. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> oh my god, I overslept. Oh my god, I'm like, I ran out of gas. Oh my god, my car broke. I mean, it was wow. every lie in the world. And then all of a sudden, um, they were like writing me up, and they're like, Oscar, you can't be doing this. You're in charge of a department. Yes. Yeah. And then. <laughs> I just I, I hit that end of that road and they were like, oh, you're you're fired. And it's so funny though, because I got fired and I remember thinking at the time, I'm like, well, how am I gonna pay for my drugs? <laughs> and this is all I'm capable of in my mind. So then I went probably like on a two week um first off, I tried that night, I quit. So this just is cold it. turkey. I said, This is it. This is I can't I can't do this anymore. And then um I lasted four days. And this is I always share this, I go four days, and then I got loaded on the fourth day and it literally felt like my spirit left my body as I was doing it. And I had a moment. I had a moment where like, this is it. This is my life. This is it from now on. This is going to have to be my life in order for me to even have any kind of um, any kind of normalcy or, or, or be able to get out of bed at that point. Because those four days were miserable and just, you, I mean, you know, coming off of meth, it's like you sleep for three, four days at a time. I slept like 20 something hours straight. So after those four days, I went on a two week bender trying to figure it out. Cause at this point, nobody wanted to talk to me. None of the few friends that I had, um, that friend, like he even saw how, how uh, fucked up I got. And he like, he, t- he and his girlfriend, um, that was, his girlfriend was living with us. They moved out cause they didn't trust me anymore. Wow. So then I had to move back home. It was just like, I lost everything. Now, all of this, that first time I did meth to the time I checked into rehab was an eight-month span. Woo. I lost everything. I just everything just spiraled out quickly. And um How do you go into rehab? Do you decide to go on your or so did somebody I got fired. So it was those two weeks of me trying to figure it out. And then there was there was I there was um the last day I was I woke up like I woke up on the beach and um and I remember just sitting there, just staring at everybody, just like, like, how did I get here in my mind? And then I left the beach, and I don't know if you know where the the five, the fifty seven, and the uh, is it the five, the fifty seven, and the is it the ninety one? There's like a big, there's like five freeways that kind of cross into each other. I got stuck there for like three hours trying to get. I was getting on. My mind was so fried. On and off, getting off, trying to get home. And I was just like in this, it was like in this, I was in this, um, what's the word? Psychosis. Psychosis. I was just crazy. And I finally made it out of there. And I I always say three hours. I don't know how long I was there. It felt like three hours. So 15 minutes. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I got home. I called. I I was, uh, uh, I was part of a union, the grocery workers union. I called them and they, cause they were trying to help me figure out how to get my job back. And I finally just said, I go, well, listen, I go, the truth is I go, I have a problem with narcotics. Like, Oh, okay. Well then that changes everything. They're like, what we're going to try. Are you willing to go check into rehab? I'm like, I go, yeah, I need help. So they checked me in and it, and I always share this too. I'm like, that was, that felt like the worst day of my life. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I stayed sober from that point on. I was, it's funny how they were like, Oh, Oh, okay. Now we know how to help you. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, you a drug yeah. addict. Okay. okay, come with me, boo. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we trying to come get your on. job back. We don't know what's wrong with you. What's happening? You're like, yeah. well, I need help. And they're like, oh, okay. Now we know how to help you. Yeah. So I checked into rehab and my life just, my I came to life. And my life just kind of blossomed from that point on. Did you go back to Vaughn's? Did you? They gave me my job back after, so I got fired 
uh, in July, and I got my job back by by mid October. I was back to work. Oh, awesome! Yeah, oh, and wow. I stayed there till I think two thousand three. So I was there th- with the company thirteen years total. Yes, and um, and so in the interim, this opportunity to perform falls in your lap. Now, yeah. how does that? Five come years. About? So five years into sobriety. Yeah. Um. So there was a pageant called Battle for the Tiara, which is funny now that. It's now called Best in Drag Show, but there was a pageant called Battle for the Tiara, and friends of mine, uh, for because I'm obsessed with beauty pageants still. Like the the day Miss Universe is on is like a holiday for me. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> shut my phone off. Nobody talked to me. I'm focused, and I even traveled to the Miss Universe pageant seven years in a row. Oh yeah, my I'm God. telling you, yeah. I mean, obsessed. Obsessed. I've never yeah. met somebody <laughs> more obsessed with Miss Universe. <laughs> pageants yeah. okay scream out a year I'll, I'll tell you who won that year I'm telling you. 2008 2008 was i was at the pageant it was in vietnam it was diana mendoza from venezuela get at, you went to vietnam yeah for the pageant for the pageant wow so i centered all my vacations for like seven years in a row wherever the pageant went <laughs> oh my god that's yeah. amazing well i mean true story really quickly we vacationed together mm-hmm. in hawaii not too long ago yeah and we actually went to a restaurant. It's called uh, The House Without a Key. Okay. And the featured hula dancer was a former Miss Universe. Brooke Lee. And, of course, this one was like, ah! Well, I, I was at the restaurant. We didn't go on the same night. But I immediately texted him like, you will never guess who was here. He was like, oh, Miss Brooke Lee. Hey, right. <laughs> I was like, I, oh, I okay, I guess I'm not surprising you with <laughs> yeah. any information. Yeah. And we went the next day, and I've actually become friends with her. Wow. Yeah. That's funny. We're friends now, and she came over, and she laid all of us at the table, and she wanted to meet DJ, and yeah. Oh, yeah. So, But yeah, I'm obsessed with beauty pageants. So my friends took me for battle for the tiara, and it was the night uh, Jeffrey Drew, a lot of slots won. And uh, <laughs> I was like, but I just remember being there like, oh, my God. Like, I literally was like, nobody, they wouldn't even talk to me because I was just like so, so overwhelmed with joy. I'm like, I have to be a part of this somehow, some way. And I'm like, and this was before email and all that. So I remember writing a letter to someone like a few days later, somebody, I go, does it, because a friend of ours, uh, James Gray, who was um, the the winner the year before, was friends with the guys that took me. And I just remember ask, like asking him, hey, do you know anybody from these? Oh, I'll give you a couple names. I wrote a letter and nobody ever responded to me. <laughs> and I was just like, I need to be a part of this. And, and you had not done drag at, up to this point? Other than Halloween. But okay, even right. Halloween, was, it was bad drag. So how did you get in? Well, the next year that we went back and I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out a way. And by this point, now, I had never been on stage other than high school drama. I'd never really been on stage. And uh, I had no acting uh, experience nothing and I'm like how can I get in this with no experience right so then we come to find out that the year the the final the next year was going to be the final year and it's when Lada gave up her crown and Kim Chi won uh, Miss uh, California but um <laughs> I was just so sad like I was devastated and then come to find out a year later James Gray calls me and he says hey so there's a new group of guys uh bringing the pageant back but they're changing it more to a Miss Universe pageant called uh quest for the crown you're like this is right up my alley i'm like o m g i'm like okay okay i'll be miss mexico okay i'll be uh flora tortilla and he says no he's like why don't you be quesadilla i'm like quesadilla he's like, and spell it the way white people say it quesadilla I'm, I'm like it. ah 
Oh my God, I'm dying right now. And then he sat on the phone with me and spouted off a bunch of ideas and I'm writing everything down. Mind you, no, 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 no acting uh, experience at all. Right. Writing all these things down. And, um, and then I went and auditioned the day before my fifth sobriety birthday. Wow. And um, no, the day after, because I remember we had a big celebration the day of uh, the audition later that day. I went in there. I, st- I watched the video recently and I think to myself, how did I get in? Because it's like I knew nothing. But I literally went in there and just did a bunch of jokes. I was in like some wig that I bought off a shelf and a black dress that I bought at a thrift store. And Glenn Allen did my makeup. And um, and they called me two weeks later and literally, literally changed the course of my life from getting in that pageant. And I competed that uh, – that was August that I auditioned. And then I competed in March. I was a runner-up. And I was like the crowd favorite. And I was just – but it, all of it for me was just like this big fantasy come true. You know what I mean? And I I was like in cloud nine that entire night. And I was called off the runner-up. And I was like, I don't care. I was just happy they let me in the building. Yeah. And I had such a great time. And then, um, and then that was it. The f- week later, I went and perf- I went to drag strip in drag, and um, I Tell met our listener. In case you guys don't know what what is drag strip, so drag strip sixty six was like the hottest drag club and drag event that happened the second Saturday of every month. Uh, it was run by Mr. Dan, Mr. Dan, and his uh, partner Paul V, who was a DJ. And this club went on for 15, 15, 16, 17 years, I think. And it was just, it was like the hottest, the hottest club. And um, so I went that following week and I was introduced to Mr. Dan from some of the other queens in the pageant that I had competed in. And he just fell in love with me. And then that following month, he invited me to come up on stage and I I did a little something. And then uh, like two or three months later, he had me come over. He wrote a song for me and I performed... um, I performed on stage and that just like kind of began like this whole career for me of performing in clubs. I was, I was like a regular at drag strip 66 for like 10 years. And, um, and then he also did a, a show called the plush life, which was at uh, Casita del Campo plush life was a drag improv soap opera. <laughs> and they would do 10 episodes for 10 weeks at a time. And they would take like a month off and then come back for 10 more weeks. And people would rotate in and out of the show. And then he started putting me in the show. And it's when I really started to learn about comedic timing and just kind of got like my, I guess my acting chops or my performing chops from that. And then just from there, I, I was performing in clubs for a while, but it just like lip syncing wasn't like I was bad at it. And then it just, I didn't really enjoy being in clubs. Yeah. Um, other than drag strip, just because I, I I got to know all the guys there, and then but literally just everything from that point forward, I just I started. Um, I was in a couple short films. I did a feature film, and then uh, two years in, I started selling Tupperware and drag. So up to this point, it was all quesadilla in in regards to the movies and the commercials or whatever you mm-hmm. were doing. None of it was as Oscar, correct? None of it. No, and I. And for no other reason that I just, I, the case of the fell in my lap and I just started going with it and I was loving the attention. I was loving the creative outlet. I was loving, I was loving the armor more than anything because I just, I had this confidence in drag that I did not have in my own life. And it's funny because I've shared this many times that there was a point in my life where I feel like I caught up to K and it just all meshed. And I, I just, I, where I started having the same kind of like, I was able to talk to people the same way that I was able to talk as Kay. And I love that, that, yeah. that your life caught up to Kay. That's yeah. kind of awesome. It's almost like she literally was like an armor for me. And, and, and ultimately 
as an artist, I came to realize that Kay represented a part of myself that I was so ashamed of because she's an immigrant. She's ignorant. She's bigger than life. And she, all these things and with pure confidence, it's almost like she's the biggest thing come to come out of Tijuana and she takes that everywhere she goes. Like she doesn't realize how bad or how, um, you know, she thinks she's the skinniest uh, supermodel in the world and she's complete opposite of that. But she's like, but she walks around with the confidence of a skinny supermodel. And, um, but I also feel like Kay is also in on her own joke. Like, no, she's not. I she's think that's not. What, no, I'm in on the joke. And there's oftentimes I think what happened over time, it evolved into me making fun of myself, I which I, I I'll tell you, self-deprecation to me is the sexiest thing. And, um, so I make, I make fun of myself first, more so than other people. Um, uh, I, I looked at it like, um, I was celebrating part of my culture that I was so ashamed of as a kid that I shared about earlier the fights in the street and cause she is just like my aunts and my mom, just like this ignorant confidence. Yeah. I was going to ask you, did you base her on anyone? my, my like aunts any- and my mom? Yeah. Yeah. She gets words wrong. She kind of makes up her own phrases and thinks they're, they're the right. I, I, I just, it's funny cause it took me a long time to understand exactly what it was. And then I had an identity crisis and after I've, I had been doing her for so long, but ultimately I just, I, I love it. I love it now. That was going to be my next question Mm -hmm. in regards to you and Kay. Did you ever feel she took over Mm. to a point where you were almost lost Oscar? Oh, yeah. And it's funny because there was a there's an event uh, hot and dry. Um, It's a sober event that I went to every year and I performed there for five years in a row. Like I became the poolside entertainment. And I remember the first year I did it, it was kind of spontaneous and it was it was fun. And then the second year they made it more of a production. They got me backup dancers. The third year it was this huge elaborate performance. And I just remember by the third year people would ask me about her, and I was happy to talk about her, just to kind of keep the focus off myself. Right. And then by the fourth year I was just miserable, like in my personal life, and that's all I could talk about was her. And um. And by the fifth year, I remember going to the conference and I don't think I ever came out of the room except to do the show and then and I didn't do anything else. And I remember that point I was like, I got to stop doing this. I got to stop um, hiding behind her. So I, I didn't go to the conference for eight years after that. Wow. And then um, the final year I came back and I did that um, that that performance and it was I had such a different mindset and I was married at, by that point as well. But yeah, there's there was there was a. There was like an eight-year identity crisis, although I had to keep doing it because she was also my bread and butter. Yeah, right. She paid my bills. Hello. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I didn't, I don't, I think I went almost seven years without dating or or hooking up or anything, just because I was so, um, I was so shut down at for a good uh, period of time there. And Kate didn't like that. No, she didn't <laughs> like it. She didn't. <laughs> But you love Kay, like immediately when, and I'll speak for myself, when I first met Kay, I mean, immediately I was drawn to you because this, you know, Kay's energy is is, is so, contagious. I don't know, warm and contagious yeah. and you just want to be a part of whatever she's doing because it's, you know, it's party time. Yeah. I mean, she oh, comes, Kay. Dynamic. Yeah. Kay comes with her own like soundtrack. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> 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 You're like, yes. 
and she comes and it's like she sucks the air out of every room she goes into yeah yeah you want to like conga or something all of a sudden oh yeah yeah um yeah and and it's funny because like i said from the beginning to like especially even till now it just she completely evolved and then i started performing as her more often i started doing sketch comedy as her and then i wrote and produced with a friend of mine um uh my, my two favorite things were beauty pageants and charlie's angels and we created Chico's Angels, which is a, and I would say, if think of Charlie's Angels from the 70s and the Three Stooges had a Mexican baby. <laughs> That's Chico's Angels. You've seen, have you seen Chico's I Angels? I have not seen. <gasps> oh my God, Kim. <clears throat> that, I mean, trust me, when they're on again, we will take you to see Chico's this Angels. This August. No, no, oh, this August. Mm-hmm. Well, there you have it, folks. Chico, and it's Chico'sAngels.com. Chicosangels.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Okay. We're on Insta Honeygrams. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're getting we're getting back to this story, but we're really quick. Chicosangels.com. You must see this show if you're in the Los Angeles area. Yeah. It is hysterical and fabulous. But anyway, yeah. so it's going you back. and two other angels. Yeah. Yes. yes. So it's me, Kesa, the other pretty one. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> smart one, Cheetah Parole. And the friendly one, Frida Lay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we go on, and we all have our own backstories. And it's funny because the actors that are doing it now, we've been together for, um, I think this summer we're celebrating our 18th anniversary. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And we, it's like a well oiled machine now because it's like, um, we have so much fun, but we, it's like we, we know our character so well that yeah. we're able to get through, like even rehearsing a show. We usually can rehearse a show like in, in two weeks now just to get it up and out. But that's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're doing all the you you're doing sketch as Quesadilla performing mm-hmm. and then Tupperware. Tupperware. How does that happen? Well, um, because you were like the Tupperware, like you sold Tupperware in drag. Yeah, <laughs> and I, you were I'm like, still, I still do that. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> eighteen years. The summer like, was eighteen years. Really? Yeah. And like the top. Tupperware seller. In 2007 and 8, I was number one in the nation. In, in pers- the nation. In personal... Uh, wait, U.S. and Canada. Oh, That's a different country. Get into it. <laughs> right? Yes. So I went to a... Tu- so Danny... <laughs> I can't believe it. That's extraordinary. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, Tupperware. But I'll tell you, not only did I say drag changed the course of my life, Tupperware completely changed my life because... Um, when I worked for Vaughn's Pavilions, I was like, um, I called that my clock watching job because as soon as I'd walk into the, to start my shift within 10 minutes, I'd start looking at the clock. Yeah. Like how much longer do I have to do this? And I was, you know, and I, and honestly, I'll make my amends to anybody who ever worked with me. I was a terrible employee. <laughs> I was cause, and I know this now that I can't, if my heart's not in it, I just have a hard time being present. No. And you were an artist. Yeah. You know, you were just, you were an artist. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. I went to a Tupperware party that one of the contestants from the pageant that I competed in that first year in 2000, his roommate had a Tupperware party with Frank. Frank, with a P-H-R-A-N-C, was a punk rock singer back in the 80s, and then she became a folk singer, and she calls herself the all-American Jewish folk singing surfing Tupperware lady. And she'd have her guitar. She looked like a milkman. She has a little, she has a flat top, a bow tie. She had a guitar, and she'd sing these songs and do this nostalgic Tupperware party and I remember just sitting there the whole time like just like and she was hysterical and I was like I could totally do this in drag I could totally do this as quesadilla my friend Chris Anderson was sitting next to me who 
was the contestant and that I competed with in the pageant. We both looked at each other like, we should totally do this in drag. And he's like, well, I'll do it if you do it. I'm like, let's, <laughs> let's do, it. do it. We both walked up to her and said, hey, we want to sell Tupperware. She's like, oh, okay. So she, she signed us up and then come to find out we were going to do these together. The parties together. Found out we can't do that. So then we started our own business. Now, I just started doing it on the weekends because I had my full-time job at the grocery store. And my friend started doing it full-time right away. And he became like the top seller that first year. And I started just doing it on the weekends and started making more money doing uh, Tupperware on the weekends than I was at my full-time job. And I'm like, um, okay, there's something here. And I was just doing it for the hell of it. I had no idea that Tupperware party still oh, my went God. on. Yeah. Well, it's a multi-level marketing company yeah. too. So you bring people in and you also right. make money off of what they sell. You you know, you you train and 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 create your own team. That was um that was two thousand I wanna say two thousand one. Yeah. yeah. I mean this is before like Instagram and all mm-hmm. of that. Like how do you get Well what happened? So I did a couple I, I put it out to a few friends that I was starting this business. That couple that took me to the pageant to Battle for the Tiara hosted my first Tupperware party and I sold eight hundred bucks at that party and I was wow. like Oh my God. Like I go, I'm a, <laughs> why don't you just call me a millionaire now? <laughs> And and then the, the next part I did after that I sold like two hundred dollars. I'm like, oh my god, I'm a failure. This isn't gonna work. And then just from that point on, and what happens is multi level marketing. So you book parties from other parties. Okay. And I just started kind of creating this chain, and I would only do it on Fridays and Saturdays, and sometimes Sundays. So again, I started selling and making more money doing this on the weekend because I would make my bottom line. I'd make bonuses at the end of the month, and then um, after. Two and a half years, two years. Vons, I don't know if you guys remember the big strike of like 2003, I think. So we went on strike and I thought, and I picketed for like a month. I was out there pick, on the picket line. This could be my out because I could just do Tupperware full time and it was right before the holiday. So then the holidays tends to slow down and I remember for two months I could not pay my rent. And I thought, oh my God, I made a big mistake. Why did I do this? And my brother loaned me rent. One month, my sister the next month, and that third month, I made the most money I had made. I made like $10,000 that month. Shut up. In Tupperware? In Tupperware. Oh, my goodness. In my pocket. And I was like, holy crap. I was making like $28,000 a year at that point. And I was like, oh. Working at the store. Working at the grocery store, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. I've just hit the pot of, I just hit like yeah. a jackpot and it was all in drag and people just fell in love with the character. Well, sure they, they loved, loved the it. show. Yeah. And Cause it's more than just buying Tupperware. It's this whole experience, yeah. right? And you get firsthand, you're like right in it. But it's like, it's a, it's like a show with purchase. Yes. <laughs> and then from that point on, probably that was 2003 by 2007, I'd become the top seller in 2007, eight. And then I earned a G6 Pontiac convertible 2008. <laughs> And I was like, and then I went on all these trips and then I started traveling and I was like, literally just changed everything for me. And I started making like a, like a real six figure income. And I was just like, goodness, I was like, but I mean, I kid you not, I lived paycheck to paycheck. I used to borrow money from my brother and sister all the time. Like I was that little brother that was always begging his brother and sister to bail him out to like, I, at that point I just became completely uh, self-supporting through my own contributions. Yeah. And I got a I got a nice apartment, and I just Do started having nice thing. yeah. And it was just it literally just changed everything. And it's now this past August was eighteen years that I've been doing Tupperware, and it's ev- it's evolved. I've had I I still for the most part enjoy it, but once I started getting once I got married and then started a family, it just became uh, a different beast for me. 
it's still very good money, but it's just a lot more challenging now that I have, you know, daycare and yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. But um, yeah, but I, I love it. I still love it. And, you know, and it's funny because along with getting sober and selling Tupperware, there was, they're so parallel in that when you bring people into the business, it's like you're training them into the business and you literally are giving them an opportunity to change their lives. And you, it's almost like the same thing, you know, what happens when you join a 12-step program and you get a sponsor and then they teach you, they take you through the steps and it changes your life. It it was the same philosophy. And when I started thinking of it that way, it literally just, um, it made sense to me. And it became almost like the spiritual experience for me, the more successful I got. And prior, I was, I always say I was either a quitter or a runner because if things got too hard, I would just not try or I would give up or I would quit. I'm like, oh, this is too hard. Forget it. And at, at a certain point with Tupperware, I started making these goals for myself and I started achieving them. And then that car that I earned was an 18-month program that I entered. And then I got a trip with it. I got a, a all-expense-paid trip for four to Disney World for the first six months. And then it was a maintenance. And then it was – but as I started getting closer to it, I'm like – I could achieve this. It was such an awesome moment because it was the first time that I really made a goal and saw it through. And prior to that, like I said, it was like hit and miss, quit. If I got it, great. If I didn't, well, you know, I didn't really care anyway. Like, even though I did, but I was always so, I always lived by my fear. And at a certain point, what happened is just this confidence kind of started building from making these goals. And and that's why I, I truly believe I became as successful as I did at that point. And um, it's funny because I get excited when I talk about this stuff because, uh, you know, that goes away at, at, at certain points in your life. And and it's it's nice to remember that that was something that really changed everything for me um, as far as career because I started seeing something that – because I guess in my mind at that point too because of my, my father, I always thought your job was supposed to be something you suffered through. Mm. And this was the first time that I was like, wait a minute, I love this and I'm making a really good living. I mean so much so that – not only were you successful, you had a team underneath you that was also successful. Yeah. And you, at one point, pro- were projected to make half a million dollars. Well, I never... Well, that'd be nice. I sold that much. That's what I'm, that's yeah. what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Not you made half a million, but sell... Sold. $500,000 worth yeah. of freaking Tupperware. Yeah. That's and a uh, lot of plastic. It is a lot of plastic. <laughs> That's a lot of plastic. I'm and so sorry, Mother Earth. I know. No, well, it's but you reusable. Know, it's reusable it plastic. Reusable. And I always tell people it's not eco-friendly, away. but it helps you become eco-friendly. Right. Yeah. Because yes. it is a reusable product. Because you want to keep that. Yeah. You don't throw away rubber. You throw away rubber made. You don't throw away Tupperware. No. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So, y'all, you know, get your Tupperware. You don't need to be reusing them country crock. <laughs> Thank you. That's Margarine. the Mexican Tupperware, by the way. <laughs> That's Oh, listen, black folks, too. All right. <laughs> like, nah. My grandfather would have some country crock. Containers. By the way, by the way, Rubbermaid, don't come after me. (laughs) (laughs) So then you have this long relationship with Best in Drag, which has now become Best in Drag from Battle of the Tierra and all these iterations. So that full circle. So in 2011, um, Jeffrey Drew became the director of uh, Best in Drag show, which uh, at that point I think they were in their eighth or ninth year, something like that, or tenth year. Um, He when he became the director, he called me and he says, "Hey." I'm now the director of uh, Best in Drag Show. I'd love for you to um, come in and be the commentator. And I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, wow, okay. Sure, that'd be great. And I just still remember that first year. It was such a, again, it was like a spiritual moment because it just brought me back to how it all started. 
and I had the best time that night with D. And Who I, is all a DWI was your co co commentator co commentator, and she was also a top selling Tupperware lady that lady I brought in yeah. in drag. Yeah, and she had since moved to Ohio and is like she has like this huge team back in Ohio, and she is killing it over there. Really? Yeah. But D and I were the commentators that year, and um, I don't know. There was it was that night was just magic. It was just gold. It's like that. You know, most performers will always pick out those one or two or three moments in their in their careers that just was like the cherry on top. Yeah. And that was one of those nights for me. Oh. And um, I just I had such a blast. Plus, it was nice to be welcomed back to the show. And um, and I just had such a great time that night. And then I, be, I became I was a commentator for six years, I think. And um, and then Patrick Rush, who was the host for 20 years decided he was done and they came to me and asked if I wanted to take over as host and I just remember that night I was like when I the first night that I hosted the, the show uh my opening monologue talked about how it all started back with sitting in the audience and watching uh Jeffrey Drew a lot of slots win the pageant and here he is directing the show now he's become a dear friend and I remember writing that letter and nobody answering me and it's just like wow what full circle yeah full circle this that whole thing was for me and you know, and then I, I've since I've hosted now twice, and I the first time I did it, I don't think I'd ever been that I hadn't been that nervous in a really really long time, um, and it was just again it was one of those magical nights. Oh, it really was. That was my first yeah. best in drag. It oh, was really? Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I would never have known in a million years you were nervous. Just the most natural. <laughs> You know, so quick with the quips and the jokes, you know, just You know, awful. which is funny, though, because, um, and this is something I've been talking about recently with um, my husband, because um, I dropped out of high school, and I flunked first grade and had to repeat it twice. So in my mind, I always just got this idea that, oh, I'm I'm dumb, or I'm stupid. So I just, I that, that's carried through most of my life. And then there was something about the confidence that I created with Kay that just kind of made it... Um, I don't know if it's a wittiness or, or a quick kind of um, comeback or this quick witted, you know, that yeah, I'm not that I don't is. have right I mean, now. Um, it's really it that just c- came yeah. to me. And yeah. again, it's almost like you go into um, it's like a zone you go into where yeah. it's just you're humming, yeah, you're humming, and just things start coming to you. You just you get into this. I call it the silly. Um, the silly mode that I get into where I'm just able to just make cracks about the stupidest most ironic things and it just it works for some reason well, it's almost like you're, you're free it's yeah. just like you talk about it's not armor so much anymore now it's just that freedom mm-hmm. yes oh, you've let <laughs> i love all that of those oscar things yeah and, yes. you know you're free to just i love that so much kim it's not so much that it's armor it's now your outlet you know to freedom yeah oh yeah i, lo- I just love that i mean it's like it's my art it's my art, and I and I, I love it. I love it. I love when the, you find those when those moments happen because they're not always. You know, you still. I still have my off nights because I'm in an, in front of an audience four or five times a week now with Tupperware, and you just you have your nights where like nothing's working or this audience isn't responding. So I still have those moments. I still have that fear in the back of my head that you know I'm um when's the next bomb coming? Yeah, because <laughs> they always come. I, I I I truly enjoy myself and still. And it's been, I, this past August was my 20th anniversary. Yay. Yeah. And you still driving a Tupperware car. What kind of car are you driving now? <laughs> I have a company car, which is a Traverse G, uh, what is it? 
GM. It's like a mom car. It's a mom car. Yes. It's a soccer, soccer mom, mom car. car. <laughs> which I needed. Yes. Which, hello, daddy. So I am. Yeah, so this is a perfect daddy. way to transition yeah. to now. I mean, so we're talking about, we've talked about you, your mom, mm-hmm. all that stuff. High school, you know, doing all, all of your thing, your yeah. sober thing, the K thing, the Tupperware <laughs> thing. We're talking about Vons. Mm-hmm. So all this has now, you know, been your life. Yeah. So you are looking to take this all to the next level and which is your personal life. Yeah. Yeah. So you're married. Married. How did you meet your husband? So I met my husband on Scruff. Oh, great. This yeah. is just great. Just, <laughs> just great. The normal way that <laughs> the people meet. Way. Right. Online. Okay. I said... I was actually, it was funny enough because I was in Mission Viejo doing a Tupper party and my husband works for TJ Maxx and he was working at the store out there uh, in Mission Viejo and I was putting my makeup on for a Tupper party and I just popped on to see who's out in Mission Viejo. Oh my goodness. And I saw his profile and I was like, oh, cutie. And I just said, hi. And he responded, hi, cutie. And I wasn't, oh, okay. And then. So the makeup, you stopped putting on the makeup. Stop for a second. Yeah. (laughs) Honey, I'm going to have to cancel this Tupperware show. Yeah. When you get to a lunch break, right? TJ Matt. So then we uh we started chatting. Then I ended up giving him my number just to get it. it was, I don't even. I haven't been on those apps since then, so I don't even know how they work now. But I remember I was having a hard time getting in and out of the app to to communicate with them. So I finally just gave him my number. And then we started chatting. And then we were laughing, and then I met up with them and we sat and talked for like two hours. And but there was something about that conversation that I just knew this was something different. And um. Yeah, and then I saw him again a couple days later, and then I started seeing him every other day, and then it was like, before you know it, we were living together, and he went on a trip with me to Europe that I had already had planned, and then my, I turned 40 that year, and he came with me on, on my trip, on my 40th birthday trip to um, London and Paris, and it's just, like, with, oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, and then he moved in with me after that, after that trip, but it was just something, like I said, that first night, I just knew this was something different. And um, cut and, to a huge wedding. Yep. At the Hose- Hollywood uh, Roosevelt Hollywood Hotel. Roosevelt. Oh, old Hollywood glamour. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was uh, a blowout. Yeah. I heard because, you, <laughs> because I wasn't invited. I didn't hardly know you then. <laughs> but guess who did go? Well, he our was Our producer, working. David Neuendorf. <laughs> like, oh, you weren't there? He was he was our our videographer. Oh, he was so. working. Hey, and he invited you that day of, and you're like, no, I'm busy now. Oh, well, see. Not, yeah. I mean, to Don't a, invite me last minute to a wedding of all places. I'm not aware. I didn't have a haircut. I'm not, show, I'm not showing up there. Like David, bring me some cake. Yeah. Okay, bring home some cake though. Oh yeah, but so the pictures I, were beautiful. Oh, thank you. So how <laughs> long have you, you how long have you been married? So we met April twentieth. Uh, 420. <laughs> we yeah. met April 20th, 2012. We got married April 20th, 2014. So this April 20th on uh, uh, this coming April, we'll be together eight years, married six. Oh. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah. you have a little one. We have a little boy that we had uh, through a surrogate. Little three-year-old. He's three years old. I was telling you earlier oh, yeah. that we we're, talked to him. We we're we... in the middle of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's most wonderful, hardest thing I've ever done. And he's one of the cutest little th- yeah. boys I've ever seen in a long, yeah, long he's time. Adorable. He's a cutie. Super freaking cute. He's a cutie. He Do knows you, it. He loves being a daddy. 
Yeah. It's yeah. funny. I, I do love being a daddy. I um um I was a friend of mine and I are we're trying to start our own podcast called The Drag of Parenthood. Yes. Can't and wait. I can't wait either. <laughs> we haven't recorded other than our first episode, but um it's funny. There's um it's not all it's not all peaches and roses. It's just not. It's a lot of work. It's it's um it's exhausting. And it's um that's why I said it's the most wonderful, hardest thing I've ever done. I've never been so tired. And yeah. it's been three years in, and I've, I'm more exhausted now. I think, because um, that first year we got him in a we got him in a good sleep rhythm that he was sleeping for ten hours a night, and right. we were able to sleep through the night. And then after a year, he's that, like, "Guess what? Yeah, guess what? I'm up. <laughs> so that means you are all up yeah. too. <laughs> what y'all doing in here? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, and it's hey, you can't hear me. But, Let me hey, come, come get me. <laughs> yeah, but um. It's tough, and that's why I wanted to start this podcast because, you know, obviously we're in a unique – Antonio and I, um, who's also a drag performer, he has twins, and we're in unique parenting situations. And I just thought it'd be fun to have conversations with other people, other regular parents and parents that are in unique situations as well, um, just because you need to hear from other people. Because as soon as I would call Antonio, like in the middle of – you know, either having a meltdown or a, a big fight with my husband because we're both exhausted and – talking to him it was like within minutes I'd feel so much better just because oh yeah he's going through it too and he just went through it a few months before I did because his his twins are uh I think six or seven months older than my son and he's got two so I'm like I have nothing to complain about yeah (laughs) yeah but I I love it it's not it's not easy and it's not and there were many times where I um just I thought to myself, what did we do? Right. We were traveling we, all over the world. We were just having such a great time. And all of a sudden, it's like our life literally stops and revolves around this little man. And it yeah. truly does. Well, that's being a parent. You're always like, yeah. what, what have need? I done? Yeah. Why don't I just get in this car and just keep driving? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right? <laughs> and, you know, my son's in preschool now. I talk to all the parents. I'm, I'm head of the fundraising committee at his school. And I talk to most parents all of them feel the same way. It's like they love it. It's the best thing they've ever done. And they're also just exhausted or frustrated or just like they need a second. You know, I I don't know how many times I've heard a parent saying, I need a minute. Yes. (laughs) I need a minute to myself to just kind of regroup so that I'm able to be present for my child. But there's, yeah. Yeah. Cause they're like, oh, the bathroom doors closed. Yeah. That means it's time for me to just come in here and do a show. Like they, they, it's the most, insane thing i locked the door Guess the who other that day. happens to yeah and she's like well, did you lock the door so that we did wouldn't barge in here that's exactly yeah. yes I did. that's exactly why but seriously it's like it's like <laughs> you hear people say all the time oh god it's so nice to be able to go to the bathroom by myself because yeah. it's literally like you have this like an audience now because he's has to be in there because you're in there oh 100 yeah. yeah oh yeah what does he think about quesadilla he thinks it's hysterical and he knows her because i come home from work sometimes yeah. and he knows it's me he's it's your he papa it's tia. It, it, right <laughs> no he just I, I always joke that it's his mama, but um, if you ever go to my Facebook or any of my social media, you'll see I have pictures with him and little videos that I've made with him oh, in drag. And it's, I love it. it's funny, but I also think because of Kay, he's not afraid of like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. Right. <laughs> he's not as scared of other clowns. <laughs> so he's so he's good with yeah. all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I, I do wonder what his experience is going to be like right. when he's older. Like what? 
what that's going to all mean to him is because, you know, any kid is embarrassed of their parents when they're older. Right. He's going to have a real reason to be embarrassed if, or 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 love it. Well, that's when he'll start his podcast. Yeah. About right? having. Yeah. Yeah. I was raised by drag, drag queens. queens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the still, drag of childhood. Right. The, right. <laughs> the drag of childhood. Right. When your parents are a drag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The sweet, sweet moment we had, one of the sweet moments yeah. we had with him uh, when we took our last trip with, uh, you know, and we met you guys out there. In Hawaii. Yes, and we were uh, at, at the bay, and there was this fish that was just literally swimming around us, yeah. remember? And we were like, look, fish. And he, it took a moment for him to recognize the fish but right. once once he saw it the just the awe and the just the yeah in his face Aww. and just looking at him just you know discover this fish and yeah just the wonders of this fish that was literally just swimming around us right is so those are the moments thank you the, yeah. i mean i was like oh i get it because yeah. this moment is so precious and i love him just as much as they do <laughs> and then literally two seconds later he starts screaming and i'm like oh yeah okay here <laughs> you can take him back now yeah. Yeah. hi oh look there's daddy go to daddy go, go with them that's it right. Bye. Bye. yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> well this was awesome yeah oh my god this was awesome Thank you. Well, thank you guys thank for you. having me. It's thank always fun. To, I thank love you. to talk. Well, <laughs> yes, we love talking to you. Well, thank you. Because we love it too. Yeah, thank you. And congratulations on this podcast. Seriously, it's I I I'm trying, and I know it's it's a lot of work. It's a big commitment. Yeah. And um, <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. but you guys are doing it, and that's We're doing it. Half yeah, we found the work, our groove, right? We found the groove. We're working it, babe. Yeah. But half the yeah. work is showing up. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. You'll get it. You'll 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 get it. We'll get there. Yeah. Be just fine. <laughs> All right, you guys. So really quickly to just recap, Oscar and as Quesadilla does this show with his other cohorts. It's called Chico's Annuals. You must see it if you're in the LA area. This August, go to Chico'sAngels.com for tickets and information. Also, they can catch me on uh AJ and the Queen on that's, Netflix. That's right. Yes. How was that? Fun. fun okay, so fun, fun. yeah, so also catch him on Netflix series AJ and the Queen. I think you're in the third. I'm or in fourth? the third episode. It's RuPaul's series AJ and the Queen. I'm in the third episode at the very end. Fabulous. Where else can they uh, follow you? How, what's your Instagram? So all my social medias are the are the same handle. It's Case of the One. So it's Remember, it's the way white people say it. it's K A Y S E D I A one, and that's on Instagram, Snapchat, Face uh, Facebook, and Twitter. But I'm mostly active on Facebook and Instagram. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much. We love thank you so you, so much. <laughs> love you so so much. All right, you guys, that's it for us. My name is Louis Camacho. Kim Blackwell. And this is work. work. The podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.